How are you this morning? I don't know about you, but uh, I'm getting the message loud and clear that what normally has waited until Thanksgiving to begin in gusto has begun this year at Halloween. What is it? His stress. Yeah, that, that was going on before. Uh, Christmas. Yeah, isn't it amazing? Uh, retail world kind of figures that the only way they're going to make it through 2009 is to get Christmas started about 4th of July, but they took a break for Labor Day and for Halloween's, but boy, it's back in earnest. I was flipping through the New York Times this morning and Macy's owns the paper today. It's like full boat, full on, and uh, it's almost good because on the retail side, that's just the merchandising side of it, but we all know finally that we're going to get a little break from this wartime thing that we've been about, political wars and economic wars and terror wars and all this wartime stuff. Don't we need a break? Fala la la la. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing because in the next couple of months, what we really need is going to be coming our way. And I'm going to make a case, uh, I've got a few minutes to make a case for you this morning, and it is that uh, deep in our cores, uh, we need something that can only be produced in what I'm calling the moments of life today. I want to contrast minutes and moments. Uh, my title over today is how to turn your minutes into moments, trade your minutes for moments. Some great people have had great things to say about moments, um, Rose Kennedy, who was the matriarch of her family's political dynasty. Life isn't a matter of milestones, but of moments. You know, we brag about milestones, but we benefit from moments. Doug Copland, who is a Canadian novelist, put it this way, most of us have only two or three genuinely interesting moments in our lives. The rest is filler. Do you get some of those Christmas cards with Christmas letters in them? Do you get those? You know, the truth is, folks, we don't want to read about people's minutes. But if they've got some moments that they're capturing, it draws us in. It's the attention getter. It was, uh, come on, move forward. Here we go. Move myself. Sam Shepard said it this way. He's a, any given day, he's either a film actor or a playwright or a producer, actor. Film acting is really the trick of doing moments. You rarely do a take that lasts more than 20 seconds. You really earn your spurs acting on stage. I need to do that for myself. I would hate to say at the end of everything that I never did a stage play. Shepard says that if you're an actor, you can just do really well for 20-second clips, and if you don't do it well, they'll do another take and another take and another take and another take. But when you're live on stage on Broadway, you don't have that indulgence, do you? You either get it right or you do it for a week and you're done. Charlie Sheen says life all comes down to a few moments. This is one of them. My last outside quote, Perry Como, if you're under 40, uh, you're going to have to Google his name for, for Rich and for me uh, and some of you who have been around a while. Perry Como, who died about a decade ago in his 90th year, was a guy who had a song for every season, but it cost him. Perry said, although I managed my schedule to be home by late afternoon most days, basically Roselle raised our children alone. And so I missed out on a lot of wonderful moments, missed watching my kids grow into the wonderful people they are today. 
There's a price if all we do is leave, live minutes and leave the moments out. How many minutes will you have in your life? Right now, the um, average lifespan in America is 78. That's, that's between the genders. By the way, in terms of genders, we run a leadership program called the Master's Program that has groups for both men and women. And because I lead the men's groups, um, we're going to be sharing that with some men today. But if we find traction in the greater New York area, we'll have a women's dimension for that as well. God, in his justice, has um, created a world where women live about five years longer than men. Uh, It is because what we've held women back from takes them about five years to catch up. And, And because God knows that when men will not allow that to happen, he has to take us off the stage for women to have the opportunity to do all of the rest of what we didn't allow them to get done while we were here. I just think that's God's justice in action. 78 years in average, have you thought about the fact that that's 28,470 days, 683,000 hours, or roughly 40 million minutes that we have at our disposal? Seems like we have so much time when you put it in those terms, but have you ever felt, have you ever felt a little short on time? You say, wait a minute, have you, have you ever felt not short on time? We can quantify the minutes I'm going to ask you, though, how many moments do you want in your life? And how can you create those? The Greeks got it right. We have an abundance of words, uh, and they produce a lot of confusion in English. The Greeks had two words for time. One was chronos. Chronos has to do with the metrics, the measure of time. It's computed in minutes and hours. It's sequential. It's quantitative. But they had another word, and it strikes to the heart of what I want to think about with you this morning, because to complement Kronos, they had Kairos. When they talked about Kairos, it was the time in between. It's the time when something special is happening. It's not quantitative, it's qualitative. There's a difference of magnitude between the two. But then we dial back to America in the 21st century, and we just recognize that we live in a world where minutes are traded for money. And the tick, 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 tick of the clock just defines us. But truth is, friends, moments are created from memories. If we're looking for money, we come into relationships and they always involve an agenda. Boy, the agenda is one that is pretty well defined because when we're moving to the marketplace, Monday through Friday, the agenda that we're coming with is an agenda to trade. Isn't that the way it works? We're coming expecting to trade something. It's called quid pro quo. Uh, We're going to give something up and we're going to expect something in return. And you feel like a winner when the transaction occurred and you left with a little more than you put down on the table. That's the way life works Monday through Friday, isn't it? So much so that in most of our life experiences, we come to the table always looking for the agenda. We figure there must be a reason. They want something. Do you ever feel that? Someone's called out of the blue and says, can we have lunch? And you come tentative because you know that there's an agenda behind this thing somewhere. They want something from you and you have that transactional hat on. But when you're looking for memories, it's different. Here's the profound discovery that we have to make if we're going to really make memories happen in our lives. 
It's when we come into relationships with an agenda not to trade, but to give. That sounds a little risky, doesn't it? In fact, it sounds almost unfair because if we're going to be asked to give, we've got a limited supply. How much can we give? The counterintuitive thing about it and the way God's designed relationships to happen is when I came in, come into a space to give and I give, I leave with more than I came with. While it wasn't my agenda, it's my experience. This morning, I want to think with you about the fact that in the marketplace, when we move into marketplace transactions, we're always trying to figure out a way to monetize. You know the word? For example, anybody Twitter? It's, it's one of those uh, that we have an anonymous group that'll be meeting at three for the Twitter folks. Um, Twitter is the explosive sort of uh, connective technology that is freshest on the scene. Millions of people involved in Twitter relationships today, but you, you know what's really tough? They're trying to figure out how to monetize that. It's not creating any revenue yet, though it's traded. Uh, the, the technology has traded at incredible values already, but they're trying to figure out now how to make money off of it because in the marketplace space, you've got to figure out how to monetize. I want to think with you in the next few minutes in the kingdom space. What are the alternative capabilities that we have to come up with? How do you create moments? I want to suggest to you this morning that while your real life continues, what we call real life, which everybody's tried to escape from, while we keep our real life going between now and the end of the year, I want to think with you about the incredible opportunities that are yours and mine in the next two months to create some incredible forward movement, some gains in the moments in our relationships. How do you create moments? It's about getting on top of three very... um, important uh, capabilities. And the first is your ability. We have to learn to personalize. If you want to create moments, first of all, you have to learn to personalize. What does that mean? Well, there are two questions I have to ask to personalize. Oh, and let me just say, personalizing is increasingly valuable in a world that has become so mass market. You do realize that in the commercial world today, um, we've perfected acting in the commercial world. We're making standard mass solutions available and then we've found a way to personalize it so we can send it to your first name. We want you to feel special. We want you to feel unique and you are simply a, uh, a digital code that we connected with through the internet. If you want to really create memories, you have to start with personalizing. And the first question that has to be asked when you personalize is, what is it that the other person needs? When Jesus was here, the God who was behind the creation of all of humanity, the God who could have gotten away with saying, you know, there's so many of you, I can't remember. Anybody have two kids at home or more? When we had our second kid, what I came to realize, our fallen state is so strange that when you look at your kid, It doesn't matter. Boys, girls, doesn't matter. Look at your kid. You're always going to call them the other one's name. (laughs) Anybody do that but me? I'm doing it with my grandkids now too. First service, uh, my assistant's three daughters were here. They're all grownups. And two of them are twins with each other. (laughs) And talk about a loser's bet. I mean, if you're already prone to do that across genders and across ages, when you've got twins, give it up. 
Personalize? Are you kidding? God could have gotten, gotten along with saying, you know what? There's so many of you, I just can't remember names. And yet he comes on the scene. When Jesus was here for three years, he was so in tune with the personalization. Just an example of that, a postcard from three years with Jesus. Mark chapter 10, Jesus with a blind man, just another man with a need in the line. But Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately received a sight and followed Jesus along the road. You've got to find out what the other person needs. Jesus didn't just come saying, you know, I've got a standard solution. Get in line and we'll pass it out when you get up here. No. What do you need? Second question you have to ask is, what is it that you do extraordinarily well? If you're going to personalize, you've got to find out what the other person needs. Then you've got to find out where your extraordinary giftedness takes you. Peter, who was there during three years of Jesus' public life and learned from Jesus the way this is done, would later write 1 Peter chapter 4, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. It isn't just the question, what's the unique need the other person has? The question that matches that is, what is the unique solution that you bring to the table? It isn't standard need, standard solution. It's unique need and unique solution. Make that connection and you make a moment. Great moments happen when I can connect their need with my extraordinary gifts. 16 years ago, my family um, had a defining experience. Uh, Let me say two brand names and see if you can figure it out. Firestone Tire, Ford Explorer. Uh, Tread came off of a tire on a flat S-curve on a mountain road in Colorado in 1993. And our new Explorer rolled seven times. And when it stopped rolling, it was totaled. And Sherry turned as any mom would to see if our 16 and 13-year-olds were okay in the back seat. No, they were older than that. They were 19 and 16. She turned to see if they were okay. And the girls screamed, Dad! because my belt had released and I'd been thrown about 75 feet and did a head plant, massive concussion, brain injuries, and orthopedic damages. Um, Stopped breathing at this scene. It was pretty ugly stuff. When they finally got me to Denver to a hospital three hours later by helicopter, um, they were preparing my wife and family to say goodbye. I spent eight days in a intensive care uh, setting for which I have no memory. But the memory that survives from those eight days is what happened eight hours after the accident. Sherry had had time to make one phone call before they drove three hours while the helicopter got me there. She made one phone call and eight hours later, I had four guys who got off an elevator at St. Anthony Central in Denver who had very busy lives back in California who had called everything to a halt and missed a night's sleep to get on a red eye and to step off an elevator and to say to my wife and daughters, what do you need? And for the next week, those four men put their lives on hold to step in and to create a memory for my family. What could have been a memory of tragedy became a memory of incredible connection because these four men came and said, what do you need and what do we know how to do? And they took their respective responsibilities and scattered and created a memory. Here's a second skill set that we get to develop. First, learn to personalize, and second, learn to memorialize. Memorialize, what does that mean? That sometimes um, kicking it into a higher gear, putting the turbocharger on it, figuring out a way to do it so uniquely 
that it will never be replicated. Boy, that's a moment when a memory is created that doesn't just satisfy for the moment, but the memory doesn't go away. Jesus had been invited to a very elegant uh, event uh, hosted by the top of the social pecking order guy in town, catered a fair, and they remembered everything but the washing of the guests' feet on the way in, because if you came in from the dirt roads of the Middle East in that day, you help people sort of, it's kind of like the sanitizers that are everywhere right now. Help them feel a little freshened before the meal, and no one had done that. Meal's being served, and a woman comes in who doesn't belong. Anybody knew her didn't, knew she didn't belong because she had a tawdry reputation in town. She was not the person who would have been invited. But she came in and doesn't make a fanfare, but heads straight for Jesus, washes his feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair, and then has this costly um, lotion ointment that would have cost about a year's pay and she breaks the bottle it's in and she washes his feet with this stuff. And, and the, the highbrows who were there enjoying this upper crust affair became immediately um, suspicious and said, you know, this money, she could have sold that and the money could have gone to people in need <laughs> like they cared. And Jesus says to them, why do you bother this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you but you'll not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for the burial. And I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Can you imagine becoming famous for 2,000 years because of a singular moment when you had an opportunity to create a memory by by, by memorialization? It was, how can you do something that will never be forgotten? Operation Christmas Child's pretty amazing um, effort of Samaritan's Purse. 8.5 million boxes will be collected this year and distributed in over 100 countries over the course of the next few months. Christmas creates this collection dynamic, the distribution. If you're getting a gift somewhere else in the world, it doesn't have to be Christmas when you get it for it to be special. And we're really careful to make sure those gifts go to kids with great need. And every time the gift is given the story of the God who loved him so much that he sent his son as a gift is told along with the box. I heard this report just a few weeks ago from last year's collection and distribution. There was a village in Africa where a distribution was being made and they were concerned about whether they were going to have as many boxes as they needed for the kids who were going to show up because once you get to the end of the road and then truck it from there, boy, there's no backup in a warehouse nearby So they took a container of boxes to this village and when the distribution, the chaos of the distribution was completed, they thought they had all their bases covered and they'd run out of boxes and then a mother came up with a little girl and said, my little girl didn't get a box. And the field staff person who wrote this report said, they looked at the little girl and said, I recognize the little girl, I know she got a box. And the mother protested, no, she didn't. And And the worker said, well, I think I recognize her. And the mom said, well, here's why. And she called to the side and her other daughter came over and they were identical twins. And so here's a room full of kids who are excited with their boxes in their laps waiting to open them. And they ran out of boxes and they had one more little girl who didn't get a box. The field worker said, well, um, there's no solution we can offer. So 
you're just going to have to set your daughters down and the one that got the box is going to have to share it with their sister. And so then they had all the kids open their boxes at the same time. And the field staff member said she zeroed in on the one little girl who had the box with her little sister next to her. And she opened the box and she said, inside, the people who had packed that box, someone just like you or me, the people who had packed that box um, had bought two of everything. And in that box were two of everything. And she said, if you want to try and compute the random chance that out of 8.5 million boxes packed by people just like us, how many people are going to say, let's put two of everything in? The God of heaven knew that a little girl was going to come up short. And so a box was prepared specifically and a memorial. Let me tell you something. When a child in the third world receives a gift, and we've had the big six accounting firms confirm this because that's what you have to do, the average value of one of those shoe boxes equals roughly two months of household income in the third world. For many of these kids, it's the only gift they've ever received. When you can receive a gift like that, when you can be the kid who thought you're going to miss out on a gift and finds out that someone packed two for one, for our kids... They won't even remember by Super Bowl what they got at Super Christmas. But for those kids half a world away, the memory of a gift packed by folks who thought of them in the name of Jesus is a memory that will transform and define the rest of their lives. You want to make some moments? First of all, you personalize and then you memorialize. Here's a third Um, incredible power that you have, you're going to be able to create moments when you learn to eternalize. Eternalize. What is that about? Here it is. When you can personalize, it satisfies them for the moment. When you can memorialize, it satisfies them for a lifetime. When you can eternalize, it still pays dividends a thousand years from now. The Apostle Paul spent his life um, traveling the Mediterranean basin coming into cities where he knew no one, establishing relationships that would lead to converts to the Christian faith, that would lead to the establishment of churches, and leave behind him people with whom he had great relationships and affinity, but he didn't get to see them much. And so he'd write them letters, and one of those letters to a church in Thessalonica we have in the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Listen to what he writes to these people that he loved. What is our hope? our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. If you'd ask the Apostle Paul, what do you have to show for this life on the road? What do you have that's really worth something at the end of the day? Paul would have said, listen, I've got moments that have been eternalized because those moments are measured in people, not in stuff, not in spreadsheets, not in annual reports. It's measured in people. His moments have been eternalized. As I thought about that this morning, I thought about my friend Brad. He's in one of the groups that I mentor with the master's program. Brad's a guy who's in the prime of his life, late 30s. He's running a business that he's uh, partnered in with his dad who had founded it before him. His dad, CPA by training, entrepreneur by predisposition. And his dad's been an independent businessman with a growing company involved in multiple uh, areas of business. And his dad's been all business all the time for as long as Brad's known him. 
Brad came up uh, through his education, joined his dad, and he's done a great job taking over in his dad's stead, but always under his dad's sort of watch. Brad came to faith in Christ, not through his home, but through his relationships with people outside the home. And over the last number of years, Brad's tried to share his faith with his dad, and his dad had no interest in it because his dad was interested only in business. And the only point of friction between them has been Brad's faith. A year ago, his dad, his dad was diagnosed with a cancer that has preoccupied his life for the last year. And surgery and chemo and all of the attempts to moderate the cancer have been um, unsuccessful. And his dad now has forgotten about business and has one agenda item, and that is to try and sustain his life. But he's still not open to Brad telling him about his personal faith in Jesus Christ. Brad expressed that concern to me, and I said, you know, I know a man who came out of a similar business, who has a business credential as his background, but he has a passionate love for Jesus Christ and loves to share that relationship with other people who don't have it. And so I brokered a relationship, a connection between Brad and my friend Warren, and I had an email just a couple of days ago from Brad saying, Warren came, spent an hour with his dad. When he left, his dad had a new friend and a new savior in the Lord Jesus. Because his business was of no continuing interest when the end of life was on his horizon. And the issues that he'd never had time for before were now the dominant issues. What happened next? You can dismiss that in an intellectual argument all day long, but when it's just around the corner, it becomes personal. Today I can tell you that a moment has been created for Brad that had never existed before with his dad. And that moment happened because Warren knew how to eternalize an impact, eternalize something that has value today. It'll have value for the rest of his life, but it's going to have value a thousand years from now. Because men and women, all of the memories that we create down here, all of the moments that we experience down here will end at this lifetime unless they've been eternalized to go into the next. I wonder today, as we think about the next couple of months, are you uh, prepped? Here's your assignment. You've got 76,000 minutes to manage between now and the bowl games on the 1st of January. 76,000 minutes. Do you know what the tragedy would be? If you burn through all those minutes and have no moments to show for it. How do you create some moments in your relationships? Personalize, memorialize, eternalize. Friends, those are opportunities no matter what the economy is doing. Let's make some great gains in the next few days. Father in heaven, thank you for showing us how this is done. You weren't content to simply wind up the mainspring of creation and let us live out lives defined by minutes and hours and days and years. Jesus came, and uh, we remember the moments of his life. We're going to celebrate one of those moments a few weeks from now in the moment of his birth. But thank you that the moment that changed everything was the moment of his death and then the moment of his resurrection. Those created memories that have been eternalized for us.
And the greatest moment of our life happens when we make that personal. Thanks that we could be in a place like this to think in those profound terms today. And we pray in the strong name of your son, Jesus. Amen.